Hello, world. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and I'm happy to have you joining us. So today we'll be featuring another extraordinary guest in Jeffrey Kanaj. Jeffrey Kanaj is the editor of NJ Biz, the oldest and most prominent business publication in New Jersey. His journalism career has spanned over 35 years, in which Jeff has focused on politics, public policy, legal issues, and all aspects of business. Today, we're going to discuss the most pressing concerns both here in New Jersey, but also impacting the national scene. We address real estate, reopening the economy, the coronavirus, and how politicians are handling the situation, and also education. What are schools going to be doing this fall? So please stay tuned over the next hour or so as we go into detail on these important issues impacting all of us. Thank you, and without further ado, please welcome editor of NJ Biz, Jeffrey Kanaj. Jeff, thanks for joining the show. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. So what a crazy time for the news world right now. How is NJ Biz doing? How are you guys making out? Most people get our print publication at their office. <laughs> and most offices have been closed <laughs> so <laughs> uh, for, for a while. Um, so, you know, we're not sure how that's, how that's doing. Um, but our web traffic has skyrocketed. I tripled in some cases in, in many months because wow. there was this thirst for information as uh, before. It's need to know what's going on. What's the government doing now? What is Governor Murphy going to do tomorrow? <laughs> Business um, and 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 how can I how can I cope with with everything that's going on? So it's been we were amazed at, 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 at I, I think we shouldn't have been. I mean, it, and this was this was across our, our company's properties that we saw that uh, online traffic just went through the roof because people could not get the information anywhere else. If you couldn't go to the office and you couldn't get the publication, you had to come online. And it was that plus, as I said, this, this, this need, this appetite for, for everything up to date on what's happening now. I, I think, you know, I I'm, was the same way. I've been the same way with, with, you know, seeking out information about what was going on with the pandemic. We watched yeah. uh, Governor Murphy's br daily briefings every day. Um, and I, you know, I'm always searching what's, what's happening now. What's the latest, what are the, what are the latest numbers? Where are we going with this? And, and it's just natural that, that well, this is, this is, this is the subject that dominates people's lives. It's keeping them home. It's keeping them out of work. They need to sure. know what's going on. And so we've, we've found that, that, that they are seeking us out in droves, which has been great. Yeah, I could imagine. And how do you feel like either competing with social media or even utilizing social media, is that a hindrance or is that a help for you? I, I think it's actually been a help for us. We do use it to promote our, our content um, and it does help us uh, get, get our news out as quickly as we can. Um, I don't, I, we, we actually do have a competitor, a, a, a relatively recent um, startup publication. Um, Who's, I won't name. <laughs> um, so, so there is competition for us in, in that regard. Um, I suppose, and, and truthfully, I, I think that what we do is, is so different than what most other media outlets do, that even though they're on social media and probably have uh, bigger social media presences than we do, I don't think that I don't really view them as, as a competitor. For us, social media is a tool, and we use it to to, to disseminate breaking news, to point readers to uh, what, what we think might, might be helpful content. Um, 
so, and then we try to do that. You know, we try to use, we use Twitter, we use LinkedIn, we use Facebook. We're on all of these things, and we try to use them as much as we can. Again, to to stay connected to the community uh, because the community is involved as well. So it's really it's really uh, just another tool, another another vehicle, another avenue for us to to reach our readers. Gotcha. And with, I mean, media today, not to digress too much, but it just seems like there is so much information out there. And if you ever log on to Twitter or to Facebook for a minute, it's like anybody can, you know, pick the, the news article that fits their preconceived notions already. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how do, do you find that difficult to kind of cut through all the, the clutter and, and to deliver a message that people can say, okay, that's, that's a point and it's a true point. It's not just all this fluff that's out there. Well, I think that's, that's one of the advantages to being as focused as we are. Um, our readers, and, and, and I think anybody who comes across us, will see immediately that we have a, a laser-like focus on business in New Jersey. Um, and we, we maintain that, you know, it, it, especially in, during COVID-19 and, and all the, everything else that's been going on in the world. It's easy to kind of get distracted and get off the track. But we maintain very strict discipline on what we're covering and, and, and make sure that we're delivering what, what our readers want. So it's easy for them. They trust us. As I said, we've been around for a long time. They trust us. They know that we're not going to give them uh, useless fake news, um, misinformation, uh, disinformation. Uh, what they get from us, they can trust. I mean, we do the best that we possibly can. You know, we're only human. We make mistakes, but we do the best we can to, to make sure that we're providing accurate information and our readers trust that. And sure. that, that, I think, does give us an, a, an advantage, especially on social media, where, as you say, um, there is a lot of other competing voices. If you want to know about what's going on in the business community in New Jersey, NJ Biz is where you turn. And our readers know that. And I think that, uh, that, that we, we try to communicate that message as, as, as loudly as we can to, to everyone. And I don't think we've run into that problem. Okay, that's great. No, that's that's a good point. And it's nice to know that you can actually tune in somewhere and just get straight talk and not feel like there's some sort of biases that are involved in that. Right. And, um, and that's, that's, what, that's what folks tell us is that that's what they appreciate about us is that um, they, they know what, what, that, that we're playing it straight. Um, that, as I said, you know, we're only human, but that we make every possible effort. Everything that we do we, is, is designed to make sure that we're presenting only accurate information. Got it. Got it. And so now with that in mind, New Jersey has had quite a run over the past, I don't know how long you want to say, 10 to 20 years where, uh, you know, there's some aspects of our state that are fantastic. There's others that sometimes seem to make us a laughing stock for the country. And so I think that this part is useful both for residents of the state, but also anyone else that's listening out there outside New Jersey, because it can, a lot of lessons can be learned, good and bad, from what we've done here. What do you foresee as an economic recovery uh, for New Jersey? Is there any, I mean, there's a lot of ways you can look at it, that it's dire. Some people say things look great. You know, what's, what's your take on the economy of New Jersey? Well, it's interesting. It's, it's actually evolved a little bit. Um, and what, I, I'm not an economist. So what, I'm, what, I'm, what I learn, what I know is what I, what I get from talking to, to people, our readers and, and sources. I would have I, two months ago, or even a month and a half ago, even just a month ago. I think there was a lot of optimism uh, that 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 we had done. Residents of New Jersey had done everything that they were supposed to do to get the the the, the outbreak under control. We flattened the curve. The health system was not getting overwhelmed and was not likely to be overwhelmed. Um, and it looked like you know the, the state was starting to reopen. Um, at one point, the governor was going to let uh, restaurants open for indoor dining. He backed off of that. Um, 
but it did look like we were on the road to recovery. And, and most people I talked to were, in fact, uh, fairly confident that, that the recovery was going to be, if, if not very quick, at least robust um, and, and, and wide ranging and that it would, would begin to come back in the fall as, as, as the business, because we were on a steady path to opening up. Um, probably live, live sports and, and entertainment was, was a ways away, um, but it really did look like we were coming out of this and that, that, that we would start to, start to turn around, if not in the fourth quarter, then certainly by the first quarter of next year. I think folks now, um, given that it, you know, the numbers have not been good over the past couple of weeks, uh, the governor's making noises about having maybe to roll back some of the, some of the reopenings that, that he's allowed so far. I, I, I sense that, and, and this, is, this is more anecdotal than, than, than anything because we haven't really had a whole lot of experience with this. I mean, we have had no experience with it. I mean, that, that's, that's the other thing. Everything, this is completely unprecedented. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. People were just talking about it through their own experience and, and through their own lenses. But I think what I picked up more recently is a little less optimism, if, you know, maybe not outright pessimism, but a lot more caution about what's going to happen, over the, especially in the short term, over the next, you know, through the, through the end of the summer and into the fall. Uh, a lot of a lot is going to depend. Uh, you, you know, we still don't know what the schools, what the schools are going to reopen, and if so, how what that's going to look like. Um, it's it's really it's really become much more difficult to tell um, what uh, what what's going to happen, and and I think that a lot of folks are really worried. There are some there are some uh, uh, industries that are really going to be hurting, even as the economy recovers. Restaurants, for example, bars and restaurants. Uh, there's been some, there were some scary stories on the news nationally um, this, this morning. And we've seen that, especially in New Jersey. You know, we had a restaurant webinar a couple of weeks ago um, with, with David Burke and, and Tim McClune and Josh Suggs, who owns a restaurant in New Brunswick. And they were saying, look, with outdoor dining, we're doing okay. We can get there to, you know, maybe to October 1st. But when the, if the weather turns bad, <laughs> um, they're out of luck. Um, and yep. they don't know whether they're going to be able to, to, to keep going. Uh, the Paycheck Protection Program helped. A lot of, re a lot of restaurants were able to, to, to maintain, um, maintain their staffs and keep going, but that's going to run out, and it's not clear whether they're going to come back. And, and again, with the, with the uncertainty over the schools, that sort of tells you, I think that's sort of a, a proxy for, for, for how confident people will be. If people are willing to send their kids to school, um, then you know they're they're probably feeling good about things. I'm not getting that sense right now. Um, One so, of the the things, if I if I could interrupt you, sure. Jeff, that's that's right in line with that. And, and this is, I think, a gripe that I've heard a lot of people express, and, and I can understand, is we're getting all of our information from the media and from the news, and I think most of us would agree it it often seems fearful. It seems you know very negative. And I even read a headline last week that I just wanted to share from another publication. Okay. And it sounded kind of like a, like an Armageddon type scenario of the state of New Jersey with COVID. And this was just a week ago, okay, in July. And it touted that there were 718 COVID patients hospitalized in New Jersey. And not necessarily that they were there because of COVID, but while they were in a hospital setting, they had tested positive. Right. And so what I had a conversation on with a couple other uh, colleagues of mine is you got 718 in hospitals in a state that has 9 million residents. So if you do the math, that's like 0.008% of our population right. mm -hmm. currently affected, you know, by, by COVID. And it seems like 
we're putting, we're still keeping the state on pause. You know, we, with schools, people are kind of in uproars here and there about what's going on in the fall. But the headline was so fearful. And it's like, I don't understand why they can't perhaps spin it in another light that if you look at where we were back in March, where Hackensack and these other facilities were slammed to the gills. And now I work mostly in hospitals and I talk with them and they say, yeah, you know, we have one here, we've got two there. And it seems like things are looking good, but the news seems to suggest otherwise. Well, I think there, there's a, a tendency to, toward that um, because it, was, it, it really was a bad situation back in March and April. Sure. And, and yes, the hospitalizations are way down. Uh, the number of new cases per day is way down. And, and we're still, New Jersey is still, still much better off now um, than, than some of where some places like Florida, Texas, Arizona. Um, and and the, the concern, I don't think it's a fear so much as a concern that we're heading back in that direction. Um, and that's that's what I think that that a lot of a lot of a lot of what we're seeing, a lot of what we're hearing, um, is 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 pointing to. Um, you know, it, clearly, it's the 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 virus is is still spreading, not nearly as fast as as it was earlier. And I think that that's what people are are concerned about: is is are we heading back in that direction? And that's what uh, you know. I think it's, and I don't think, I don't really think that that fear is, is generated by the media. I think it's a genuine fear that people have. <laughs> people fear pestilence <laughs> with good reason. I mean, it's, it's, this, is, this is a deadly disease. A lot of people, including me, know people who have had it and died from it. So it's, it's, it, it, it's a natural human reaction to say, okay, there's something bad out there <laughs> and I don't want to get it. And so I'm going to do everything I can to, to be safe. Now, in New Jersey, we, we actually have, as I mentioned before, we did a really good job of, of flattening the curve because the people were responsible. People did behave responsibly. Um, and it, it, was that because they were afraid? Maybe. Um, but whatever the reason, they, they, we did manage to get it very close to getting it under control and it seems to be slipping away from us a little bit now. But if, if, if everyone does, again, for whatever reason, out of fear or concern or just um, genuine neighborliness, <laughs> um, people do the right thing, maintain social distance, wear masks in public, then we can get it under control. So sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't think that, that, that it's, it's, people aren't as fearful. And I, and I was talking about the, the, the state of the economy and what people thought about the economy. Um, and that is that, yes, we, we, we were doing really well. We hope we can continue on that road. And we'll be really disappointed if we're not. And that's what I'm. That's what I'm picking up. It isn't really sure. a lot of fear now. It's a concern, worry that it's not going to go as quickly as we thought it was going to go. Okay. And so, and and I know you're you're not you know Dr. Fauci here, but I know you, <laughs> you talk with a lot of the, the the folks and the leaders of our state. Right. What do you anticipate happening? Like, what would be the next step? And just to elaborate, you know, to finish off the point I had made earlier. So on April 14th, the, the, that was the peak of hospitalizations in New Jersey, right. which was mm -hmm. 8,084 hospitalizations. Right. Mm -hmm. And like I said, when I read that article last week, it was 718, right. which I thought, you know, maybe there could have been a positive spin to that. I know that wasn't your publication. I don't want anyone to think okay. that, but <laughs> I just you know, we'd love to see positivity out of the news. But nevertheless, as, um, as we kind of turn the corner here, for better or for worse, what are you expecting to see out of the state? Well, again, it, it will, you know, 
Governor Murphy, um, and, and I, can, I can talk a little bit more about, about this, has been clear that you know, data drives dates. So he's going to be, uh, what, what he's going to, 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 to look at and, and is going to be, as he says over and over again, the positive test rate and the rate of transmission. And those both, the positive test rate has been very good, the rate of transmission has been ticking upward and that's not a good sign. Um, so if that continues, I, I, if that continues, if the, if the, if the rate, the, the, the virus continues to spread through the state, then the next thing we're going to see is, start, is to start to pull back, probably cutting back again on, on indoor gatherings. I think right now the limit is 100. Um, he may start to pull back on that and, so, and, and, and allow only much, much smaller gatherings. My hope would be that it would not get to the point where he would have to shut down outdoor dining, um, go back to shutting down non-essential retail. I don't think, it doesn't look like we're going to get that far. Um, so that, that I don't think is, is right now, that's probably not a realistic concern. If, if, if the data turn around, um, if, if, the, if the rate of transmission again ticks below one, and for, for those who don't know, uh, a rate of transmission over one means the, 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 that every infected person is, is infecting at least one other person, if not more. If it's under one, then the, the, the each infected person is, is affecting less than one person, which means the disease is under control. Oh, okay. On its way to being under control. What, if we do, don't get it down yeah. below one, <laughs> if we get it down below one, then I think you'll, the next thing you'll see is, and it stays down below one, then the next thing you'll see is indoor dining and you'll start to see um, you know, more confidence about, about opening schools, about doing outdoor sports in the fall and things like that. Okay. Okay. Got it. And one of the things I, I feel that they've focused on a lot, you know, at least from what we can see is on the, like you said, the rate of transmission, the rate of testing positive. Right. So I feel like that we're examining the quantity which I think is kind of scary because we can tell obviously this, this illness is very contagious, but I feel like the point that's not getting a lot of attention is the severity. Right. And, you know, you, especially even if we look at pro sports today, every team is having to make adjustments or suspend games because they're quickly getting COVID and then they're spreading it to all their teammates or the coaching staff. But you, I don't think you're hearing much in the way of severity of a, a negative impact to, Thank God, I don't think any of these athletes have passed away or anything right. like that. Um, so I'm wondering if if the the message is going to shift at some point, or if we're just going to hone in on the quantity until eventually maybe there's a vaccine. Well, I think uh, I, I think the, uh, the the focus has been more on on the rates, on the on the positive test rate and rate of transmission, rather than the number of hospitalizations, as you said. Uh, and that was a that was a key focus early on, as you said in, in March and April. How many people were in the hospital? Thousands. How many people were in, 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 in intensive care? Thousands. How many people were on ventilators? Many, many hundreds. Um, and that's, that's different. And, and people were dying. Hundreds of people were dying every day. That's a lot different now. And so we, I think that because of that, we have been able to focus on the rate, on, on how, how quickly it's spreading and where it's spreading. And the, the state is doing a pretty good job of testing and tracing. Not a, not, a, not a great job, but a pretty good job of testing and tracing. Uh, pretty good job of testing, not so good at tracing. Um, so that, that, that is the, the focus. And we, do, we are seeing, uh, I, I think there was a day last week for the first time in several months that no deaths have been reported. That's great. And, and, and I think everybody should celebrate that. Sure. And, and we're seeing that nationally too. I mean, there's been a lot of coverage about the fact that um, even though it's spreading, it's maybe spreading in a, in a, in a younger population. Um, and so uh, like athletes who are healthier and, and won't develop the disease to the extent that it was, 
that 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 we were seeing earlier, um, and and that's good, and and uh, we are seeing a lot of that, and we are hearing a lot of that. So that that all of that's good, and and that is 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 reason for optimism. Um, but again, it, it it's still not under control. It's still there, and in New Jersey. Even if we do a good job, if it's spreading like as quickly as it is and or as quickly as it was in some of these states, that could eventually come back to haunt us because you can't, even though, you know, governor says he wants to build a virtual wall. Well, a virtual wall isn't a wall. You can't keep people out forever. Um, so it's, 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 we're still in a dangerous position. And that's, that's what folks are thinking. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's better, much, much, much better than it was. You know, you can you don't have to wait online to get in the grocery store anymore. At least I don't. Um, yep. And it's things are 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 palpably better than sure. they were three months ago. Sure. Yeah, I think the the big fear everybody has right now, and you mentioned if things take a turn for the worse, that they could pull back. You know, indoor gatherings uh, to whatever that limit was, a hundred or so. And you think of that number like a hundred indoors, and then you think of schools opening in the fall, right. where you're talking about hundreds, if not maybe a thousand, yes. of students and staff mm -hmm. and teachers, and it's it's almost like are there going to be certain rules for indoor gatherings that are businesses versus educational institutions, and um, it's just it's so tough to tell, and and I, I maybe you don't have these answers, and sorry to put you on the hot seat, but do you think? <laughs> that there's opportunity. What I've heard some parents, other fellow parents say is, could there be a private school setting that, you know, whether it's through parochial schools or otherwise that will say, Hey, you know, we're comfortable with our kids going back. Let's have this school over here that, that the doors are open five days a week. Uh, if this prolongs itself where maybe the public schools are doing virtual schooling all year, you know, who knows? Right. I, I've seen some of that people trying to form pods of, of okay. you know, to, to, to hire teachers, to hire tutors, um, to do that um, separately from, from the educational system. And uh, I, you know, obviously people will, will try to do that. Um, there is going to be the remote only option in New Jersey, um, if I remember correctly. Um, so I think a lot of, a lot of parents will, will take advantage of that. Again, it's going to come down to how comfortable people are and how comfortable they feel about sending their kids out into, in, into schools. And, and, and it gets, again, schools will have to do the same thing that businesses are doing. They're going to have to make people comfortable going in there. And that will depend mm -hmm. on what the physical layout is like. Uh, can they maintain a physical distance? Are there physical barriers um, that, that are available? Is everyone wearing masks? Is that even good? Is that, <laughs> can, you even, can you even conduct classes under those conditions? I, you're right, I don't have the answer to those to those questions and and yep. it will be fascinating to see how that plays out yeah it's it's gonna be interesting to say the mm -hmm. least that's for sure so another question i have for you how do you how do the business leaders you speak with uh assess new jersey's response to the COVID 19 pandemic are we doing good bad indifferent you know what are you hearing uh i think generally what, what i hear is, is is a combination of things first of all Everyone, uh, virtually everyone I spoke with, I've spoken to, and, and our staff has, believed that, that what the state did in the early days of the, of the outbreak was exactly the right thing to do, to follow the science and to close down and get everything under control as, as quickly as they can. As things started to, uh, as, as we started to show better numbers and, and, and the hospitalizations went down and the number of deaths went down and it looks like it was getting under control, there was a lot of uh, grumbling and, and growing louder about the pace of reopening was going too slowly. Um, and I think the governor heard that um, and, and did, did pick up the pace a little bit. Um, 
the the main thing criticism that I hear, and and I, I I've had, I've written about this, and and I I think I share it, is the transparency. Um, as I said before, the governor has said very clearly and and repeatedly that data drives dates. That is what when things are allowed to reopen will depend on what the data show on the illness, and he's focused on on those those two metrics: positivity rate and rate of transmission. But he's never said what it is he does with those numbers. He's never said, this is how we assess it. If we get the rate of transmission to this figure, then we will be able to do the following things. And people are really frustrated by that. Business owners are frustrated by that because they don't know what to expect. They don't know how to plan. Um, they acknowledge that this is unprecedented. Nobody's ever been through this before. We're figuring out as, as we go along, but they're looking at their livelihoods and years, decades of work that they did in building up a business and they don't know what they're going to be allowed to do next month or even next week in some cases. Um, so that's been the main criticism. Uh, yes, going too slowly, that seems to have diminished a little bit. A lot of frustration around the fact that uh, indoor dining was going to be allowed and then, and then pulled back. Uh, you know, restaurants ordered a lot of food to get ready for that and then suddenly had no, no, nothing to do with it. So there was, there was a lot of grumbling about that. Um, but the main, the main criticism I heard is one of transparency. We don't know what's going to happen. We can't plan. Can't you tell us more about what you're doing with these numbers and what we can expect? Interesting. And I think the big thing is, and I think every politician is kind of facing this, is they don't know what to do. And, and so they're kind of not relying any transparency because they just simply don't have answers. And um, I mean, yeah. I don't know how you do because it's kind of a guess. I mean, you could say open the economy and the impact isn't so bad and businesses come back and then, you know, you're a hero or you could open it and, you know, the rate of transmission goes through the roof again. Um, so th it, it, this is just such a strange time where. Yes. Yes. And I've had, I've had more than one CEO tell me that they wouldn't want to be in the governor's position because you, <laughs> they don't know what, what they, everyone is making it up as they go along um, yeah. and trying to figure things out on the fly. Yeah. And that's, it almost begs the question, at some point, are they just going to say, hey, let's go for it? And right. I think that's where a lot of people say, you know, it's becoming politicized. You know, you, you never let a good catastrophe go, go to waste. And they wonder, you know, after November, is just magically this going to disappear? Um, you know, you, you hear so many different uh, hypotheses on it. Uh, but I guess we'll, we'll kind of have to wait and see. Right, right. Nobody, but, nobody really has any of those answers right now. Yeah. Just what I, you know, like you highlighted, he's honing in on those two metrics of rate of transmission and then the positive test rate. And I, I just wonder if there's going to come a point in time where they will get the severity and hopefully it gets to the point that, yes, it is very contagious, but we have it in, under, under control in the sense that it's not so, ve so severe or it is to maybe just this very small segment of the population, um, whether it's seniors or people with, you know, pre-existing conditions. Uh, and then I wonder at that point, is the onus going to be on them to say, okay, well, we've got to reopen the economy. If you feel that you might be, you know, at risk, then it's on you to, to quarantine, not the rest of the entire population. Uh, and I'm wondering, I mean, do you ever hear anything along those lines? It, it seems kind of harsh to say, but is that an idea? Well, I think that something like that, and, and, and this was, this goes back again, really to May when, when, when when it looked like the worst was past and, and as I, I, the, the grumbling that I mentioned started about the pace reopening, um, that it will, it will be incumbent upon businesses to make sure that they can operate safely. I mean, there was this, 
the, there was this di the, the, the distinction that the governor made at the outset was between essential and non-essential businesses. And what I, what I heard from, from folks was that it, the distinction should have been, uh, especially as, as the, the, uh, the outbreak began to fade a little bit, the distinction should have been between safe and unsafe. And that it, it, I, will, I will say that it is incumbent upon businesses themselves to make sure that they're safe, that they can operate safely. If they can prove that they can operate safely, um, then, then they should be allowed to open. And remember, it, it, you still have to, you still have to, people still have to be um, willing to go and do that. You know, look at the airline industry. There are no restrictions on domestic travel, and yet the airlines are flying empty planes around the country <laughs> because no one wants to get on an airplane. Now, as it turns out, I mean, there's been a lot of reporting saying flying is, is much safer than we thought it was. But if people aren't feeling, if people don't feel comfortable, if they don't feel safe, they're not going to go to a restaurant. They're not going to go to a bar. They're not going to send their kids to school. So it, it's, it, is going to, it is going to depend on how, how everyone reacts. Um, as you say, taking care of yourself, making sure that you are behaving in a safe manner so that uh, we, we get this under control. Because the economy won't come back if people are scared of spending and going out and doing the things that they, that they wanted to do. Correct. And I think that's the, the overall theme I've heard from so many is that they want to have their own choice to make. And I've noticed this too. I mean, I haven't really been able to go out at all with my wife, you know, with the kids and everything being so busy staying at home. But we did go out for one date night. And as we drove through some, some restaurants, there were ones that it looked like people were packed shoulder to shoulder. And it was our choice. We were like, yeah, I don't, that, that doesn't look too safe. You know, well, maybe right. we'll, we'll go down the street a little bit. And then you saw other restaurants that had much more of a table spaced out and you could tell that they were really social distancing. And that's what we felt comfortable with. And right. I think that's what people want to do is be able to say, you know, either I mind or I don't mind and they can make their own decision. Yes. And just anecdotally, I mean, the restaurant, I live in Morris County. Um, the restaurants around us are, are very busy, as busy as they can be. You know, they're, they're outdoors, there's tables of six feet apart, but pretty much every night there are people out there. And so those places at least have made people feel comfortable. Sure. Yeah, definitely. And so what are, we certainly have enough to talk about in the news world beyond the pandemic. And in line with that, it seemed like for a few weeks there, right after the peak, we almost forgot what the pandemic was when all of a sudden all the protests and everything else right. uh, came about. But going back to New Jersey, I know that this is your area of expertise. <laughs> right. what, are, what are some of the big issues that you see our community, our New Jersey facing right now, just beyond COVID-19? Beyond COVID-19, it's, it's, it's the same sorts of things that, that I've been hearing for, for years. Um, I would tell people, when I first started in this job, I would tell, it was amazing to me, and I, I said this to anyone who would listen, that it's almost as if I, I didn't miss the 20 years, that I had picked up right where I left off when I, when I, went, when I left New Jersey in 1998 to go to work in New York, because I kept hearing the same things. Um, it's high cost of doing business, the cost of energy, taxes are too high, too, regulations are, are too strict. Um, it, those, I, and I, I heard them back in, in the 90s, and I'm hearing them again in, in 2020, in 2019, in 2020. Um, it, there, is a, there is a feeling, even though, as I think you said at the outset, that this, the, the state had been doing really well economically, um, as had the rest of the country for a while. Um, and still, though, there was a feeling that the state was not as friendly to business as it, as it should be. Um, and the governor, governor was elected on a on a on a uh, um, a platform of making this the states and the economy more fair. 
Uh, there's a feeling that he did that, that he delivered on that, but now businesses want something for them. <laughs> okay, the economies, you, you, you did that, you got the minimum wage, the higher minimum wage, you made the economy more fair, now you have to make it more business friendly. And you have to do something, you have to make sure that, that businesses are, are willing to stay here. Um, and that's, that's what they're looking for now, is what can, what can the state do to, to, to make it easier for us to, to do, do business? So we're not tempted to move to Pennsylvania or to North Carolina or to, or, or to move our, our, our businesses overseas. Manufacturers, for example, uh, John Kennedy at the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Program pounds on this constantly, that, that the state doesn't do enough to encourage manufacturing, and that that got us into a problem during the pandemic when we couldn't manufacture personal protective equipment. Here in New Jersey, it had to be, we had to use attenuated uh, uh, supply chain. Um, and he, he, if you talk to him, you will get an earful about what, <laughs> what, what the state needs to do to, 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 to encourage manufacturing and how vital that is. And so those are the things, again, they're, they're old issues, but they don't ever seem to go away. And so we still get the same thing over and over again. It's, it's not a business friendly state. It's too hard to do business here. By the same token, it's a, it's a highly educated workforce that's here. Uh, we're, be, we're between two giant markets, including the biggest market in the country. Transportation infrastructure is generally good. Um, and so it's an attractive place to do business. And you just look at what Amazon is doing. I mean, this, this state is critical for Amazon reaching uh, delivery routes in New York. So it's got a lot of advantages. And, and so it's, it's managed to, we've managed to, to keep growing up until recently, but businesses still feel as though they're not getting what they need from, from government. And, and, it's, and it, it's all of those things. It's taxes, red tape, cost of doing business, and just in general, a feeling that, that this, isn't the way, this isn't the best place to be, that yep. there's someplace cheaper or better. And I think you summarized perfectly the, uh, the emotions so many New Jerseyans feel is that 20 years went by, you left, you came back, and it, nothing really changed. Right. Yet you, we keep moving forward. And sometimes I say, thank goodness that we got the shore, the ports in, in New York City, you know, right up the street. Because the, the way it seems that um, some of the obstacles that, that business owners have had to face, if we didn't have those advantages, I don't know if they could continue here in New right. Jersey. Right. Right. Um, so what is, what is the government going to do or what do they say? And, and one thing just to kind of add to that is obviously politics and business intersect so much. Mm -hmm. And whenever an outsider perhaps studies the economy of New Jersey, one thing that will come, out, come up without fail is the debt that New Jer Jersey carries in, in particular to the pensions, yes. uh, to the police officers, teachers, et cetera, this tremendous liability of paying future pensions not to mention that a lot of those folks can move right out of New Jersey and continue collecting those pensions right. while they live in Florida. Mm -hmm. it, how, do they, how do they fix this issue? Because that, again, the taxes might be the answer. And then that's, of course, hurting business. And it all goes in a big circle. Yeah, that's going to be a real intractable problem. I, you know, Steve Sweeney, Senate President Steve Sweeney, um, has a, has a whole plan to try to get this under control. And I've heard I've heard from from uh, union union guys in the private sector who say it's out of control. You've got to they've they've got to get that under control. They've got to get that spending under control. And that is that is one of the most most critical issues facing the state is how do we, as you say, it, it it's not sustainable. They cannot continue to carry that. And and how how they get through that, I'm not I, I, I'm not an expert. <laughs> Again, I'm I, I I don't know that much about how pensions work and, and investments and things like that. Um, but it is critical. They've got to figure that out. Um, there's no question about that. Taxes, 
uh, property taxes, uh, that, that the reliance on, on residential property taxes, on property taxes in general, that was, a, again, going back to, to when I was covering the state in the, in the 80s and 90s, perennial issue, highest tax rates in the, in the country or among the highest tax rates in the country, uh, property taxes, the reliance, the heavy reliance creates so much inequality and so much inequity, you've got to, they've got to do something about that. Those are the two real critical issues as the, the debt, especially the pension funds and, and the, the over-reliance on, on property taxes. It just skews everything and it makes, it, it makes other decisions that much more difficult when, when those two things aren't working the way they're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, very true. And I don't know how you address that. You know, I, I, we just had an economist on the show a few weeks ago, and um, he had mentioned that it seems like politics is just catering to the most special interest groups that you can. And when you have unions and you have, you know, segments of the population that have such a voice, it's almost like, how do you make some changes when you know that those changes are not going to be welcomed? Right. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I, you get elected governor in the state. I don't, I don't know what you're thinking or what you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one. Yes. Uh, and and uh, uh, w- w- the, the, if there is a silver lining to all this, it may be that it focuses folks' attention on this more intently. That yes, we cannot go through this again. We have to get these things under control, and and maybe that will move the move the move the needle a little bit. Hmm. And so, what do you? It, maybe you could share again. This is a a business and finance podcast. You talk with business owners constantly uh, through your paper. What do you find are some of the things that that business owners are doing right now with success or some mistakes, perhaps common mistakes that that folks are making uh, in the entrepreneurial community? Uh, Mistakes. I I can't really, I can't really put my finger on a, on a, on a mistake. Um, I, I think that, I think that there were some businesses that were reluctant to try to get help during this during the pandemic, government help, just because they thought it was it was going to be too too difficult, to, that the that the process was too murky, and that that and just the the way everything rolled out, that that may have been the case. I think there was at least there was some temporary help available that I'm not sure everyone um, uh, was able to avail themselves of. Although truthfully, when I've talked to people, um, they in the people I talk to invariably have gotten loans, PPP loans and, and other help from the government um, and, and tried to stay uh, afloat that way. The, in, in terms of what, what folks are doing successfully, in some cases it was pivoting to, uh, to, to, to try to produce products that were necessary uh, right now, sanitizer, uh, personal protective equipment. Um, I talked to someone who, who was making N95 masks in a, in a, in, in, he's, his company was based in New Jersey, he was making them, I think, in Ohio, but um, he had come up with this a way to make a, an improvement on that, improving products and making them more, more relevant uh, to, to, to what, what the needs are now. And second, in, uh, pivoting to, to business, different business models, um, particularly uh, online. Uh, you, we've businesses that you wouldn't ordinarily think of as being capable of, of being uh, remote, like yoga studios, for example, uh, exercise studios. Um, they were able, we, we've seen examples of folks doing that, being able to offer online lessons and, and, and bring their services to people into people's homes. And the businesses that were nimble enough to do that, to pivot, to, to be able to continue operating and do the things that were necessary to, to reach their customers, even though their customers couldn't reach them in some cases, um, that, those were the most successful. Those were the, the, the big success stories. Um, being able to, to, 
to make sure that, that they could continue to operate even when every, others around them could not. Okay, interesting. So kind of staying nimble and, and moving yes. with the times. Yes. Yeah, that's something even for my business as a financial advisor, I, I felt so grateful that prior to the pandemic, I would say probably 75% of my business was nationwide where we were doing Zoom meetings and webinars just like this. Uh, so it wasn't impacted too negatively um, from the stance of having to be quarantined because I could already do so much from home. Right. Uh, but for some of these restaurants and, and bars, you, you really feel for them because I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you see that they're able to replace that prior revenue by just doing curbside or is it not even close? Well, it's, it, it, it's interesting. Again, when, when we had, our, when we had our, our, our webinar, what we heard was that, yes, they were, they, they were at a reduced capacity. I think it was 25% outdoors or, or 50% outdoors. Um, and they could make that work because there was such a hunger for people to get out. So they were doing that, that kind of business every night. Whereas in the past, on a Tuesday night, maybe there wouldn't be anybody in the, in the, in the dining room. Um, on a Tuesday night now, all of their tables are filled. Um, so they didn't, it wasn't just a weekend rush that they were dealing with. Um, so they've been able to make it work because they're seeing that, that a, a much more steady flow of traffic. People willing to go out and, and go out on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, during the week, um, rather than, 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 than wait until Friday or Saturday night and having a big rush to, to, to then. And when you think about it, it makes kind of makes sense because if you're if you're working from home you don't have a commute going out to dinner on a monday night is probably not that difficult and and so i think a lot of folks were, were more willing to do that plus they couldn't do it for months for a couple of months so just wanting to get out and have that experience again um you know people go to restaurants as, as i think it was david burke or, or tim McClune said to us um you know they go to restaurants for something that they can't get at home and if you're at home and all you can get is what is what you can do at home there you really have an, a hunger and appetite no pun intended, um, <laughs> to get out and, and go to a restaurant and get something that you can't get, that you can't make at home, that you can't do at home that because it's too complicated or it's, or it's just you don't have, it's just not something that, that you're capable of. So those, those folks were doing okay um, and had managed to, to, to make up for, for the, the business and were, were operating successfully. Again, they were lucky um, because I, I think one, I think McLuhan or Burke said that they, out of the first 29 days that they were open, um, for outdoor, they had one rain out. So, yeah, and, wow. and that's the problem with, with outdoor dining is it's weather dependent. And, and yep. when it gets cold, then they're not going to be able to do that, which is why they're eyeing the onset of, of colder weather. Uh, even now, as it's, as it's approaching 90 degrees outside today, um, they're still eyeing that warily and wondering what the, what the future is going to hold. Interesting. And so if we could kind of maybe go through each one of these segments, because I know we touched a deep, it's quite a bit on food and hospitality, yeah. um, a little bit of, of what's going on in the government. But if we can maybe spend another moment there, what should we be looking for uh, during the next general election campaign? And which results are you guys going to be following most closely? Well, on a, on a purely political side, um, obviously the, the top of the ticket is almost is, is a foregone conclusion. I mean, Joe Biden's going to win the state and Cory Booker is going to be reelected to the Senate. In Congress, there are, there are a few interesting races. The one everybody is going to be uh, focused on is in the second congressional district uh, where Jeff Van Drew is running against Amy Kennedy. Yes, by marriage of that Kennedy's. Um, Van Drew, of course, elected in the, in the 2018 Democratic wave as a Democrat, changed parties, embraced Donald Trump, fell out of favor, you know, just burned his bridges with the South Jersey Democratic machine, which you generally don't want to do if you're a Democrat. 
Um, so now he's fighting for his life. Trump came to the district in either January or February for a rally after Andrew uh, switched parties. So that, there's a lot of focus on that one because that may flip back to the Republicans if Andrew can, as an incumbent, can win as an incumbent. Uh, the other big one is probably in the seventh district uh, where Tom Malinowski is running against Tom Kane Jr., son of the former governor. Again, Malinowski, along with uh, Mikey Sherrill and Andy Kim, was one of those four, uh, four uh, freshmen elected in 2018 to flip Republican seats to Democrats. Um, because he's got a big name running against him, uh, that, that, that's, a, that, that's a huge focus. But from an economic perspective, I think the one, the, the, the one that we're most interested in is the ballot question on adult recreational use of marijuana. Because if that passes, that creates a, an entirely new industry in New Jersey, or an entirely new retail segment anyway. Um, it, would it would create jobs, generate tax revenue, you know, <laughs> probably nominal at first at least. Um, but still, it's, it's, it's a new business and they, they don't come along very often. So beyond the pure politics, that one economic issue is, is really going to be one of the most interesting things that, that we're watching. Polls have generally shown that the public is in favor of that. I think the last one I saw was, um, it was either Quinnipiac or, or Monmouth, um, showed that 68% of the, uh, of the respondents uh, favored adult recreational use. Obviously, it would be a very heavily regulated uh, business, but uh, again, a new business nonetheless. And if, if that happens, that would be, that'd be a big story. And, and, and you can see that given the success of the medical marijuana uh, sure. program in New Jersey, um, there, is, there, is a, there is a receptivity to it. So it could end, end up being, um, you know, not a, it's not going to be a huge, a huge business, but it, it, could, it, could, it could put some people back to work and it could create some tax dollars, both state and locally. Okay. And Jeff, just to clarify, so they, they put a question like that on the ballot of, are you in favor, yay or nay, of, of marijuana? Right. Mm -hmm. Does that does that become law or anything, or that just provides info to our politicians? It, 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 I'd have to go back and look at the, 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 the wording of the question. But no, the, the short answer is the, the, the lawmakers will still have to do something. They'll still have to set up uh, an infrastructure to, to regulate the business, and they'll still have to, 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 um, to pass enabling legislation to, to do that. So yes, uh, on November, if, if it passes on November 3rd, on November 4th, there are not going to be weed shops down the hall, down the street from you. <laughs> it's going to take, take some time. Um, gotcha. Probably, uh, certainly weeks, probably more like months before, before anything like that starts. So yes, it's, it's, that's, that doesn't happen automatically. They're, they're, the legislature and the governor will have to get involved. Both uh, Steve Sweeney and uh, the Senate Speaker and Assembly, uh, the Senate President Steve Sweeney and, and the Assembly Speaker uh, Craig Coughlin and the governor are all on record as supporting legalization. So it's, it's just will really be a question of moving that. And the, 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 the measure stalled in the, in the legislature uh, last year uh, really because of, of Democratic opposition. Democratic senators were, were opposed to it. And they said um, that they wanted to see it on the ballot, that, that if the voters said this, wants, indicated that they wanted this, then, then that's the way to go, the, the, that's the way to do it. And that would break down that opposition, I think. Got it. Okay. So, and I think this is good for our listeners all around the country that are hearing this because New Jersey, especially right now, has kind of been on, on or close to the forefront for a lot of these controversial issues. And one more question, if I could elaborate on it. Sure. I know that drugs and gambling are two totally different animals, but in some right. ways they are similar. And New Jersey was, and even under Christie, was really pushing for legalizing gambling, which of course we've done. What's, what have you heard so far as perhaps a case study at pros and cons uh, since we've done that? 
Well, I, 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 are you talking about sports betting in particular? Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Sport, yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, sports yeah, that's, betting. That's been, that's actually been, uh, from what, from what I'm hearing, a huge success. Um, that New Jersey quickly became, because we were, remember New Jersey was at, was at the forefront, uh, filed the suit that, that eventually got the, the nationwide ban overturned in the Supreme Court. Um, and so I, I think uh, the, uh, the, the, the casinos and the, and the sports betting outfits were ready to go here very quickly because they, they were, wanted to be able to take advantage of this. And so they got up and running really quickly. And from what we're hearing, um, you know, the casinos were closed for a long time. Online betting in general and sports, online sports betting in particular, really kept them, really kept them going, even though, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of sports to bet on um, for a while. Uh, now that that, now that the, you know, baseball is starting up again, although we're not sure whether they can, they can survive. Uh, there, there was professional soccer. Uh, the NBA is starting up again. I think there's a lot of uh, anticipation that as those things start to come online, the, the gambling industry in the state is going to, it will, will turn around. Um, and, you know, casinos now can, can, are, can reopen uh, at reduced capacity. Um, and it's, it, it, I think there was a, you know, it looked like things were coming back in Atlantic city um, for a while. There was a long decline and then, so, and gradually that turned around and, and the casinos there were really, were really holding their own and, and, and starting to come back and then they had to shut down. So it was a lot of disappointment about that. Um, but on the, on the, on the, the, the prevalence of, of online betting and, and sports betting in particular has been, as has, has been a success for them. Yeah. And, and you, you hope that, you know, some of these newfound tax revenues will bail New Jersey out of the problems we hear so much about. Yes. And, and of yes. course, you know, the, the other side will say, oh, it's just more money for the state to squander. So, right. Well, <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Yes. And if I could just touch on maybe two other segments that sure. NJ Biz is certainly known for. Any, we, we spoke a little bit about education. Is there anything else that we did not cover there of what parents and, and students should be thinking about this fall? Uh, well, I, we, I think we were talking mainly in terms of secondary and, and uh, you know, elementary and secondary. True. Uh, yep. Folks, uh, there, there hasn't been a whole lot of discussion about colleges and universities. Um, and that, that's going to be a, a really interesting issue to see when, when and how uh, the, the big, because there are there are major universities in in, in the state, uh, Rutgers and Princeton, major research universities. How are they going to be able to, to open? Plus, you have you know the entire state university system. Whether they can come back, whether they can get safely get students onto campus, um, whether they can whether they can uh, have varsity sports, uh, all of that is is going to be. In, I, 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 even now, in, in it's now beginning of August students would ordinarily start to be trickling back in by the end of this month. Certainly football practice, you know, is, is going on. I don't think we still know. That's, that's a huge uncertain, an, an, an unanswered question. And right now unanswerable. I don't think anybody knows how this is going to go. And do yeah. you open up and then, and then close down again quickly if, it, if, if things get out oh. of hand, is that better or worse? No, again, it's, I, I hate to keep saying it, but it's unprecedented. No one, no one really knows. They're flying blind at this point. Yep. I guess, yeah, unfortunately, we'll have to wait and see. Right. And the, the two other areas, if, if we have a moment, I just wanted to hit is on real estate. I, I know NJ Biz does quite a bit on, on real estate panels with experts, mm -hmm. things of that nature. What are you hearing both on the corporate and residential side? And, and the reason it came to mind is I just got off a call with a client who's a big real estate investor, and he's pre predicting 
is that because the cities are getting hit so hard by the coronavirus and people now wanting to work remotely and not even go back into the city, that we could see quite a rise in the suburbs. Um, is there any, any uh, evidence behind that or any thoughts that you've heard? Well, we're, yes, we're hearing the same thing, um, that not, not only for, for, for single-family residential, but for multifamily residential and for suburban office parks, uh, that the feeling is, and, and I, I don't know that we've seen any evidence of this yet, I think businesses were, and, and, and commuters were largely waiting to see how long this was going to go, but there is a lot of anticipation that uh, sub suburbs will start to do much better. Because as you say, people will not be willing to get on a train. They will not be willing to ride on a subway. They won't be willing to go work in a high-rise building where they've got to ride an elevator to the 50th floor with, with you know, a dozen other people. Um, so they'd much rather get in their own car, drive by themselves to, a, to an office building in the middle of a huge parking lot where they, they, they either work on a one a first floor or can, or can take the stairs by themselves. Um, in, a, in a much more distant, you know, socially distant way. So there is some feeling that, that those segments, the suburban office parks, multifamily residential, and, and we don't cover single family residential that, that much, ex, you know, except to covering the brokerages. Um, and again, just anecdotally talking to, we, my wife and I just moved from Essex County to Morris County last month. So we've been in touch with, with real estate agents and they're seeing an, an enormously hot market in the suburbs uh, wow. for, for single family residential. Again, that's, that's just anecdotal, uh, my own experience. Um, but a lot, there is a lot of anticip anticipation in that regard. Um, and, uh, you know, and just to, to broaden it out a little bit, uh, in the industrial market, the industrial market was, was going great guns before all of this. We saw record high rents and, and record low vacancy rates. Uh, and, and I don't think, the, the feeling is that that hasn't changed, that won't change, mainly because the, the, the growth had been driven by, by warehouses and logistics even before the pandemic. There's a huge demand for that now, <laughs> an even greater demand as 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 spending shifts from from brick and mortar to to online. And you know, Amazon, Amazon themselves just opened, I think, about a dozen of these so-called delivery stations in New Jersey. They're not they're not huge warehouses or anything. It's, I think it, it, the, these are places that help facilitate the the, the last mile. Um, but that that just shows you what what the what the demand is, and and so you know the, the industrial market is is going to continue to be um, a, a a success story. You know the 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 downside is retail. <laughs> um, retail was in trouble before, and it's even worse trouble now. Lord and Jeez. Taylor just filed for bankruptcy. You see in this constantly. Uh, how is the suburban mall the suburban shopping mall? It's not an A. Uh, not an, a class A property like say the Short Hills Mall. How are they gonna? How are they gonna make out? That doesn't. That doesn't look so good. Yeah, yeah the world's changing quick. Yes, that's yes. that's for darn sure. And uh, the only thing I could even really compare that to almost is is when nine eleven happened. That there was. I mean, obviously that was so quick, so instant, so impactful. But then you had a lot of people saying, "I'm done with the city. I don't right. want to go there." Right. But by and large, of course, New York City rebounded fairly yes. quickly and mm -hmm. got back to the norm. This is such a, a unique animal that it has been prolonged like this, um, which might be a good segue to the last segment I wanted to touch on, which is NJ Transit. So <laughs> you've got one of the biggest cities in the whole world getting millions of people in and out every single day, and it comes to, no pun intended, but a screeching halt. Right. What, what's going on there? Is, what are we doing? Any info or anything that you've heard on that side? Well, uh, you, you know, if, if you talk to the, the folks in charge there, they will tell you that for the first time they have a capital expenditure plan that they that they never had before. Uh, it's it, it all comes down to money. Can they get the can they get the cash that they need? 
you know, they, they, they got a, they got an infusion of cash from the, from, from the federal government. I think that was, that just mainly went to, to maintain, to stay afloat during the pandemic. So that's, that's a real tough nut to crack because they, they do need, it, it requires a lot of money and to get the, to, I think they've done a pretty good job getting the rolling stock in shake. I mean, I used to, I used to take the train every day when I worked, when I worked in Manhattan, I did that for 25 years. Um, and the day I, I stepped off the train for the last time was one of the happiest days of my life because I no longer have to deal with that every morning and every night. Um, and I, I, I can't imagine you ever get ever wanting to get back on a train again. Um, it's our reporting was, was that it looked, they, they finally had leadership in place that looked like they knew what they were doing. But again, it was, it was going to take money. Um, the gateway project the, the, that's starting to move forward a little bit that will help um, but really uh, unless there's a unless there's a new tunnel um, which which I don't think is is, is, in, is in the cards right now still um, that won't that won't solve the delays and there is this huge issue sitting out there that that nobody really wants to think about and that is if something happens to, to the existing tunnels under the Hudson River tunnels and and they have to be closed or, or largely closed for an extended period of time what happens? Where do all those people go? Um, I don't, nobody really wants to contemplate that, but it's, it was, you know, those tunnels were damaged during Sandy. They were old to begin with. Uh, what do you do if, if, if that, if that, if they're in, if, if they're out of use for, for an extended period of time. And that's, that's a real, uh, <laughs> that's something that's almost too horrible to contemplate. Wow. And there, we have more unknowns that I could even, yes. you know, count. It's mm-hmm. incredible, incredible times. Is there anything else that, that maybe we didn't touch on or that you'd like to share with our listeners about uh, media and, and the business here in New Jersey? Uh, well, you know, the media here in New Jersey, uh, we, we're no different. Uh, advertising, as you know, has, has been very, very difficult. Thankfully, our, our online, uh, as, I, as I mentioned before, we, we were doing much better online. Um, the, uh, the, the thing that, 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 that I think a lot of, a lot of organizations, not just ours, is, uh, are, are struggling with is events, in-person events. That's a big business. It is for us. Um, if, 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 you are, if, if you depend on in-person events, large in-person events for, large, for uh, you know, a good chunk of your revenue, that's going to be tough. <laughs> um, and it's, it's not clear when, when that's going to come back. You can, you can replicate it virtually. We're doing that. A lot of other places are doing that. Um, but it's not the same because uh, people like to get out. They like to network. They like to socialize. And it's the same reason they like to go to restaurants because it's something different. It's, 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 a, it's a social activity. People want to do that, but they won't do it if they, do, if they don't feel safe. So even if the, you know, even if the restrictions are lifted enough to, to allow for a lot of in-person events, it's, it's going to be interesting to see um, whether Pete, whether folks are willing to, to go back to that, how quickly that's really what all of this comes back to is how quickly are people going to be willing to go back to their normal behaviors? Yeah. Yeah. And we'll just have to wait and see. Right. So, and, if, and the truth is they may never be able to go back. I mean, you, we may be wearing masks and staying six feet apart for a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember just when this began and, and, uh, Fauci on one of those first press conferences said, you know, we could see the end of the handshake. Right. And, and I mean, uh, to even just fathom that, that you, you right. meet someone and you're not shaking hands anymore. Right. It's just yes. crazy. It's yes. crazy. Yes. But we'll see. And so to wrap up, oftentimes what we like to do with our guests is a quick lightning round so we can get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so if you have just a few more moments, minutes sure. for us here and as a segue into the lightning round, it sounds like you're just consuming so much information and running this, this big publication. Could you tell everybody what a normal day is like for yourself? Like, oh, Where does it begin? Well, How's it end? 
Does it end? It, yes, it usually ends. It usually starts around seven or seven thirty uh, with with checking email and and our our Slack channel uh, to see what's going on in in the world. Um, I've had to do a lot more writing um, now because unfortunately our staff is smaller. Um, so I, I very often, well, not very often, I sometimes <laughs> have to have to produce a daily story in the morning. Um, then it's we 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 still have our regular editor regularly scheduled editorial meetings, which we conduct by Zoom. Um, so that that's 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 been that's been good. When in the first few weeks, it was really tough to just do everything by phone. Now that we can see each other again, it's a, it, it 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 helps camaraderie a little bit and collegiality. Um, I've been doing a lot of of, of Zoom interviews, uh, which which uh, was something that I never did in the past. Um, I, I do have a lot of experience in, on, in digital video. When I was at the street, uh, we, we, we had a, a, a fairly robust program in a state-of-the-art studio, so I'm, I'm not totally unfamiliar with, with how to do that. Um, but I hadn't done it in a while, um, so I'm doing more of those things. I usually, we try to, I'd usually do at least one a week, maybe if, if not more. Uh, and then it's editing stories. Um, my managing editor and web editor usually handle most of the daily, but again, uh, most of the daily content, but again, because we're, we're short staffed, I very often have to do pitch in on that. Um, and a lot of it, then a lot of it is, is getting the weekly ready. And, and I edit all of our weekly copy, all of our weekly stories. Um, I try to write regularly for the weekly, even more now. Um, that takes up a, a big part of the day is, is every day is, is getting the weekly into shape. Um, and it usually ends, day usually ends, you know, around six or 6.30, um, signing off on email and making sure that, that, uh, that, that, um, that we've got, we've covered everything that we need to cover and that there's nothing happening that we need to know about for the, for the next day. Got it. Yep. Yeah. The news never stops. Right. <laughs> yep. And so we can now enter the, the lightning round. So I'll ask a quick question and then whatever comes to mind, you feel free to share with us. Okay. So what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll, I'll just give you the first one that comes to mind because I, it's, it's one of the most memorable ones. It's called, uh, it's by Graham Greene. It's called Our Man in Havana, uh, which if you haven't read it, I, I commend it to you. It's a, it's a little bit of dated, you know, it's Cold War era. Um, but it's, it's, it's I, if, if you know, Graham Greene is probably my favorite contemporary author. I've read dozens of his books. And the one that sticks in my mind most, most clearly is, is, is that one. Okay. Our Man of Havana? Our Man in Havana. It's, in Havana. It, it refers to a, a British Secret Service agent um, or rec someone recruited, a vacuum cleaner salesman recruited into the British Secret Service in Havana in the, during Cold War. Wow. <laughs> Never heard of it, but I'll definitely check it out. Okay. And a uh, favorite quote to live by? Quote to live by? Wow. Mm, that one's tough. I don't really have any quotes to live by. I mean... Um, I, you know, just do your best. <laughs> just make sure that make sure that you try harder at, at everything. I mean, that's what I try to do. You know, whenever I feel energy flagging um, uh, or, or my attention drifting, it's, you know, stay focused, stay positive, stay focused, do the best you can. Okay. You don't want to be embarrassed by something that, that you do or didn't do, something that you omitted, something that you could have done better. You just try to try to work hard and, and, Perfect. and stay focused. Do your best. Okay. okay. And a favorite movie? Oh, <laughs> again, the, the one that comes immediately to mind is, uh, well, two, actually. The, the one that came immediately to mind is, is The Big Lebowski, uh, the Coen Brothers movie. Okay. Um, the one that came second to mind is Casablanca, which I've, I've, prob I've seen Big Lebowski a few times. I've probably seen Casablanca about a dozen times. Uh, wow. And I, I would watch that anytime it came on. So, um, I, and I have, in fact, got, gone out of my way to seek it, to see if I can find it, <laughs> because I just wanted to see it again. 
Okay. And now today you are the editor of NJ Biz, the oldest yes. and most prominent business publication in New Jersey. That's right. But when you were growing up, what job did you envision yourself having? What was the dream? <laughs> the dream was, was playing center field for the Yankees. Now that <laughs> obviously that, that, that was, that, that got, uh, that got sidelined pretty quickly. Um, but even when I was in high school, I, I wanted to be a journalist. Um, and so I, this has been a long, I, this, the fact that I've been able to do it for this long, um, <laughs> Given, this, given the state of the media uh, is, is amazing to me sometimes. Um, and uh, I, I'm, th this, this job is, is, is almost a dream come true because uh, cool. I'm working with people that I like um, in, a, in my adopted home state, um, covering issues that are, that are vitally important. And this is just great. Awesome. Good for you. And so 35 years in the business, well, can you name a, uh, a crowning success, one of the best moves, decisions, the best success that you've had in your career? Oh, yes, that's easy, actually. Um, when I was the editor-in-chief of The Deal, which was a, a business publication mainly covered mergers and acquisitions and other kinds of corporate transactions, we won the uh, society, it's now called the Society for the Advancement of Business Editing and Writing Awards. The, they, they, they have a, 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 an awards competition every year. Um, and the, the, the big award that you can win as a, as a publication is for general excellence. And when I was editor in chief of, of the deal, we won that award twice in a row, both, both of the years wow. that I, that I served um, solely as editor in chief of, of the deal, we won that. Um, and that was a big deal. <laughs> and That's awesome. I, I, I have those plaques and, and they're actually hanging in my office in, in Somerset, but <laughs> though I, I look at those all the time and think, yeah, that we did a lot of good work then. That was great. Yep. That's very cool. And then on the flip side, in that 35-year career, one key failure or mistake that you made that you wish you could have changed? Oh, again, that probably goes back to, to my days at the street. Um, uh, I, I probably should have worked a little harder at, at, at maintaining my relationship with, <laughs> with, with the people who were, who were running the business. Um, I thought that I had it figured out and, and didn't. <laughs> and that's why, I, that's why I'm, you know, largely why I'm not there anymore. Uh, the, there was a new regime change. Um, a new, new group came in and, and decided they were going to clean house and, and myself and, and a bunch of other high, you know, relatively high ranking managers were, were, were laid off. Um, and I feel like had I, had I done a better job at, uh, at, at maintaining the, the relationships that I needed to maintain, um, uh, that, 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 that might've come out differently. But again, it may, maybe not <laughs> because it was a new, new group, the, the new CEO, a new chairman, they wanted their own people in place. So, um, <laughs> that, 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 again, it goes back to the, you know, to, to, to the words to live by, to try harder, because I felt like, sure. you know, maybe, maybe I'm unduly blaming myself, but I always feel like, you know, if I had just, if I'd stayed at the office for a little while longer, if I had, if I had, if I'd made this extra phone call or, or sent this extra email, maybe it would have turned out differently. Okay. Well, you landed on your feet, which is yes, all good. Yes. Yes. And so I guess in closing here, obviously you guys are creating the news, you're delivering the news. Can you leave some parting advice to all of our listeners on how to digest the news, how to take it in and, and cut through, uh, you know, all the, the, the fat and nonsense that, that bogs us down every day? Yeah, I would say go directly to the news source. Don't don't rely on Facebook or, or Twitter or or anything else for for news. Um, 
find sources that you trust, like ours or a newspaper or a television network, whatever it is, find a news source that you trust that, that seems to present the information that you need um, to, 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 to either do business or to live your life or to you know, make, make spending decisions um, or, or just life decisions. Uh, make sure that, that what you're reading is, is, is accurate and to the best that you can, check that. <laughs> if you see something that, doesn't, that sounds either too good to be true or too outrageous to be true, it might be, it very well could be. So yeah. go and check, check multiple sources. Um, don't just rely on, on, don't just, you know, don't just rely on NJ biz, go to yeah. the wall street journal, go to another, another publication that, 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 uh, that, or, or writer or, 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 or media personality talk show host that, that you think, um, the, is, is a, is a reality check. Always get her, always try to get a reality check. Yeah. Um, that would be my, my, my parting advice. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we'll do a little fact checking. Good. All right. Well, everyone, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. Again, I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. We've just had the pleasure of speaking with Jeffrey Kanaj, the editor of NJ Biz. And Jeff, Jeff thanks so much for uh, coming on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, everybody, keep on tuning in. Share the uh, message with your friends and please leave us a nice review. And we look forward to seeing you next week. The Kaderna Podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. Pass. 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through Pass, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine Seven three two four 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 two zero. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Pass is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance LLC are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA SIPC. California Insurance License Number OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna. All rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.